when you fail, you know that you fail because, you know, it's, it's part of the game. I think you have to be very, very aware of that when you start your journey as an entrepreneur. You have to know that if it goes well, you you find gold at the end of the rainbow, but there are a lot of crocodiles and tigers and quicksands on the way. So there's a big price potentially, but there's also very, very high risk. Welcome to Secret Leaders. I'm your host, Dan Marisata, and this is the place for you to hear what it's really like to be a top entrepreneur. We often talk to founders who've already achieved a lot of their mission, but in today's episode, we get to look behind the curtain of a business that's right in the middle of its journey. I'm talking to Matteo Bellucci, a serial entrepreneur and the founder of Healthily. Formerly called WebMD, it's the first medically approved self-care app in the world and is aiming for a user base of over a billion people. I wanted to know all about Matteo's journey from his days creating startups to helping create healthily. But first, a very quick stop off in Italy. I was born in 1968 and so I spent the 70s, 80s and the 80s in, in Italy. And it was the glory years of Italy because Italy in those days was awash with cash and uh, good spirits and everything was going great for everyone. And, you know, and Italy is a beautiful country. So it was great to grow up in those years. You know, it was very quiet. There's, you know, there's no war. There was no major problem. And so I had a blissful upbringing in, you know, going to the beach and going to the mountains and, you know, being in the countryside and, going around with my little scooter when I was 15, you know, checking out all the girls and, you know, the usual thing that you do as an Italian in those days. I was going to say, as an Italian, of course, you've got to live the stereotype. Exactly. You know, I'm part man, part scooter. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it was really good. I, I really have some very fond memories. But, you know, the problem with Italy that still is one of the biggest problems is culturally the countries are quite closed because Italians don't have a history of traveling or colonialism or, you know, or openness to the rest of the world. So the Italian mentality is quite closed. So I, I felt that when I was going to university, my kind of desire to go outside to see how the world was thinking and other people in other countries were looking at their kind of the worldview I was very keen to do that. That's why I was uh, very happy to leave when I, after university. So firstly, what was your most successful startup experience before Healthily? Like, how do you understand that question? Like, what does it mean to you and how would you respond to that? So you phrase it in the right way because success is subjective. To me, success is not making money. It's never been a definition of success. To me, success is building something that has impact. And, you know, my, my drive uh, in the companies that I built was always to try to do something, especially in the second part of my career, to do something helpful, to go beyond helping myself, you know, and my bank account by helping other people. So that's one dimension. The other one is the success to me is how much you learn because I am uh, always trying to learn as much as I can. It's one of my key characteristics, is my unquenchable thirst for learning. So in terms of learning, experience-wise, the, the software company was definitely incredibly rich, you know, because I worked on it for six years, you know, from meeting Steve Ballmer and, you know, doing all the things that I did back then. 
what I did, there was a 2000, 2001. Uh, in those days, there was no mobile phones. The early versions of the WAP, uh, you know, the wireless application protocol phones, they were terrible. They were like horrendous. Uh, you know, Blackberries were everywhere, but it was mainly email. And so the, the idea of that software company was to create a push communication channel that could be used by companies besides email as an alternative higher impact communication channel, for example, with employees or customers to cut through the noise of email. So we built a software company. I learned a lot, really money come by. You know, the experience I made through those six years went around the world and meeting you know, these people and doing all, what we did was fantastic. In terms of impact, definitely Healthly is the one that is has the highest impact. We get to that in a second. But, but every experience is, is you know, it's good and it's very, very valuable. So all my experiences have been successful in that respect because I learned a lot every time and uh, and and I learned more about myself, I learned more about the market, I met some great people, I've uh, understood better how the world works in terms of business and people and what drives people, what, what drives companies. Companies are made of people. So if you really understand the people, then you can understand the companies and what, why decisions are taken in a certain way. And But I think that's a great success. Couldn't agree more. So on that note, then, how do you define failures? What are your biggest failures and what are your biggest uh, lessons that you've learned up until this point? Oh, my God, so many. I think failure is a really bad word because I think it's got the wrong connotation. You know, Again, it's very subjective. Failure, I think, to me, is what I try to teach to my children. Failure is when you don't stand up for yourself, basically. When you don't give it, give it a go. When you, you know, not not do everything to the best of your ability. That's failure. It's when you do something in a bad way, you know, you're doing it in a bad way. That's failure because you're not giving your best shot. Provided that you always do things with integrity and with belief. You know, if you believe that you're doing the right thing, then if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Failure is, is probably lying to yourself, you know, doing something, knowing that it's not going to work and doing it anyway. That's a failure, you know, which I do when I do my, my mentoring or, or classes at university. I say, if you realize that your startup is going nowhere, just give up. You know, you have to give up because the problem with startups is that you fall in love with them. You fall in love with your idea. And it's like with uh, girlfriends and boyfriends, right? If you realize that your girlfriend or boyfriend is not the right one, what's the best thing to do? dump them. <laughs> and the sooner you dump them, the better. Failure in that context is staying with them, knowing that you shouldn't. That's an example of failure to me. Yeah, I think like a lovely statement around this is the contrary to popular belief, quitting is not for losers. Absolutely, yeah. So coming on to where you are at the moment, why don't you take us through the journey of building healthily and how, you know, snapshot of how you got it to where it is today? Okay, so healthily, healthily is a moonshot is the textbook definition of a moonshot. The idea behind Healthly is to use technology to enable people to manage their health in a better way. Why is that important? Because today, if you need whatever you want to do about your health, you essentially are outsourcing it to somebody else. Any decision, anything you have to do with your health, you can't do it yourself. Basically. You have to go to a doctor, 
even if you just have a headache and, you know, to get some paracetamol, you know, most people go to the doctor for that. So the, the insight and the, the moonshot behind Healthily is to say, okay, hold on a second. Can I take a part of what the healthcare system does today in terms of helping people manage their health and completely automate it so that it could be done by people independently? And I'll tell you an interesting parallel here that comes from my many years of experience. One way to look at the, what the internet has done to the consumer sector, very simple way, is to think of it as a basically a massive self-service platform. So the word pre-internet and post-internet, essentially the internet has transformed industries, consumer sectors, introducing self-service. You can self-serve your finances, you can self-serve your holiday making, finding a partner, whatever it is, shopping. So you're not really creating something new because you still do shopping and you do your personal finance, but you, the real change is the self-service element. And this is because of that interactivity. That's why I use the analogy with the printing press, but interactive. So everyone gets what they need. So that personalization of the experience is basically a way to look at it from a different lens is self-service. Now, if you think this is a, you know, is a fair way to look at the internet, then you look at healthcare and you say, okay, what can I self-service in healthcare? Is there anything that I can self-service in healthcare? And interestingly, there is a word for it. It's called self-care. <laughs> so self-care is self-service of healthcare. So my idea was like, okay, Technology is here today. It's getting pretty good. The tech, you got mobile phones. That, you know, so can I? What can I do to enable people to do as much as possible on their own? So that was the moonshot. Now, obviously, it's huge. It's huge because the addressable market is every human being. Unlike Facebook, which is only people that are interested in a certain age group. So you have an addressable market of everyone. And on the other side of the service, you have healthcare services, private or public, which are either very expensive or overburdened or not present. So half of the world population has no direct access to essential healthcare services. And so that's the moonshot is to create a platform that is essentially can become the Spotify, Netflix uh, of its category, which is healthcare. So how do I, there, there was the idea, how do we use technology to, to enable people to get what they need to be able to decide? When obviously we're not talking about heart transplants or medical prescription yet, but it's about all that primary care interactions, which in the UK, for example, there are 360 million visits to GPs every year. So an average of six per person. And from the data that we have, that we collected from the NHS and ourselves, at least 30% of those visits are completely unnecessary because they're for things like cold, flu, blocked nose, dandruff, congestion, you know, all that kind of stuff. So if you took 30% away from that, that's, you know, 100 million GP visits a year. You know, imagine how much time you free up for the GPs, how much time you free up to the patients, how much money you save. And that's just the UK. So there are some huge implications from the success of an app like Healthily, but why did Matteo decide to go on this journey and how is he turning it into a profitable company? Find out 
after this break. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Why the interest? Why build this? What what was your personal experience? Was there one? Yeah, no, no, actually not really. The interest is uh, from having been on the frontier of digital since the beginning, I have actually worked in several industries. I had exposure to quite a lot of industries. And by looking at all these industries, I was always quite puzzled why healthcare was not waking up to the call of the digital call. And so around 2014, I was uh, doing one of my few real jobs that I ever did was like chief digital officer for Channel 5 and Express newspaper and a bunch of other things. And um, I went for dinner with this Norwegian guy who was retired and um, a bit of a visionary. And he, we had dinner here in London and he said, oh, I have this fantastic thing that I started building in Norway and you know we can give the fantastic health information to everyone in the world for free and it's great so you kind of you put the incepted idea in my brain so I knew very well that healthcare was the laggard when it comes to digital and and with this idea of the self-service you know they always had in my back of my mind I thought you know maybe maybe the time has come to look at healthcare and they had built the version one of this URMD app which was trying to find the best articles for people with certain symptoms from the NHS library. So trying to build a more intelligent search to make the article that you were finding more relevant to your search 
in a medical context. And it obviously was very difficult and the app was very, very basic. But that's how I started. So I, I decided to to join the company. There was only four or five people. And, uh, and so I came in as a, not as a founder really, but as a re-founder, if you want, because the company had been going for a year. And I decided that that I wanted to do that. And, and I really liked the idea that if we could achieve that goal of helping everyone in the world, you know, as we say, find their health, we could have helped a billion people or more being healthier. So the social impact was really very, very appealing to me. Yeah, so that's that's why it came about. And the app is the first one around, isn't it, that's like medically approved. But what does that actually mean exactly? Well, when you're the first, you also have the challenge and the opportunity to define the standards. So we were the first to build an artificial intelligence chatbot to help people understand what is wrong with them and what to do. So then the question was, okay, is this a regulated thing or does it need to be regulated? Because if you tell somebody in an app that their chest pain is nothing to worry about, they they can go back to bed and maybe just have some tablets for uh, stomach uh, acidity and then they die in their sleep, what happens? So we started going around all these medical problems and I saw quite early in the journey around 2017, I met the current chief medical officer of IBM, Watson and IBM Europe, who's a very experienced UK doctor called Mark Davis. And discussing things with Mark, I realized that the necessity for any digital health platform is to be almost like a medicine. You need that kind of approval and rigor and testing and that you would need. You were sitting out with the vaccines. I mean, you know, the fact they were not tested very well, you know, panic everywhere. Oh my God, these have not been tested. So when it comes to digital health tools, I don't think it's that different because you are really dealing with people's health lives. So the old uh, move fast and break things doesn't really work in digital health because you move fast and you kill people, right? (laughs) So we went overboard with the regulatory thing. So I invested a lot of time and money to get all the certification and the validation. And and that's why we ended up being the first app, self-care app to be certified as a medical device class one according to the UK and European regulation and now we're doing with the FDA in the United States because at the end of the day if you want to put a piece of technology in the hands of people to with the promise that you're going to help them being healthier you have to make sure that you have the medical rigor built into the platform and in the solution that you would expect from any other medical device. So you launched I mean when did you launch? We started the project at the beginning of 2015. We launched the first prototype version at the end of 2015. And then we, we kept on building, building, building. And it's quite, you know, it's quite a long time. It's six years now from the beginning. Yeah, but six years and 50 million users. So, it, you know, there's some compound growth happening somewhere. The, yeah, but the 50 million is not every day yeah so it's 50 million people that we 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 reach but you know at 50 million is nothing because our objective is to become a universal utility because if i can really put in your hands a tool that can really help you being healthy healthier 
you know, manage your conditions, find out what to do. I should get 1 billion users, not 50 million. 50 million would be failure, you know, <laughs> going back to the definition of failure. This is successful if every person in the world uses it because it's free and it helps you decide how to manage your health. So it's slow also because, as I said, we had to do a lot of regulatory and sort of medical things that take a long time. So to give you an idea, we had to build a medical knowledge base, call it, which is used by artificial intelligence to decide if Dan with these symptoms needs to see a doctor or not and what you should do and so on. That database has today around 650 medical conditions, 1,500 symptoms, tens of personal factors and influencing factors. And it's built by doctors with data scientists. And it takes forever to build because every time they put in a new condition, it takes them weeks to research it, find all the, the data from epidemiologists, discuss it with other doctors, check that it's okay, then put it into the system, test it in the system. So everything is really slow because, as I said before, you don't want to hurt anyone. And so compared to our traditional digital businesses or more conventional businesses where in six years they would be much more ahead of us in terms of revenue, for example, because we had to, you know, it's like a drug. As I said, if you want to take a drug to market, you spend five years just to get it approved. Then you need to market it. And in fact, as a platform, we actually started marketing it a bit, not even aggressively this year. All the volume we got was organic. And you know, you mentioned um, the app is free, you've raised a lot of money. How do you actually make money? How is this a business? Yeah, so we make money. And again, then we had to look for the business model because we, when you come up with something new, you have the freedom, <laughs> the luxury to choose the business model, but you got to be careful which one you choose because you need to have the right business model. So we spent a lot of time testing and playing with different ideas and taking them out with users. And so now where we are today, which we think is the final way for us to monetize this really invaluable navigation tool for health is in three different ways. So on the web, it's free and it's always going to be free. And on the web, you're going to get medical grade information. We have thousands of articles all written by, by doctors, which is very important because you also have fake news in healthcare, not just in politics. So you want to make sure that when you read something about health is the right thing, right? So we, and that's also very expensive because you need doctors to write it and so on. So we have a website at livehealthly.com. And in there we are deploying the AI in the coming weeks so that you can get the information and get the AI guidance and navigation all for free. The way we're going to monetize that is basically advertising or a glorified version of advertising because we're going to propose products and services that are relevant to particular medical condition, but they also that have been verified. So I don't like the word advertising because advertising, you just slap a banner on there. You don't even know what the banner is. We only promote products and services that have been validated by our medical team. So then we monetize with these vendors giving us a cost per click or cost per fuzz, whatever is the classic model which is a great business model because it's super scalable. It's very high margin. It's the, essentially the Google model, if you want, but on a more targeted and curated way. The second way is the app. So the app uh, is currently free. It's actually freemium at the moment. We have some components that are premium, but we decided that we're going to go premium with it. 
And I'll tell you why. Because we realize that the people that actually get the app are people that are much more, they're not just interested in having information and some basic guidance. They're more interested in prevention and managing their health on an ongoing basis. And that's a much smaller subset of the population, like significantly smaller than the people that go on, on the internet looking for information. Just to give you a data point, there's an estimated 1 billion searches per day on Google for health information. So that's where we do the web and the advertising. On the app, we are going to go with a premium model with free trials and everything else. But the app, and if you look at the app now, is pretty much there. It's not completely finished, but it's about learning about being healthy. And so there's, for example, in the app, we have 400 articles written by our medical team on nutrition, meditation, mind, uh, mindfulness, uh, physical activity, and sleep. So the app is a slightly different proposition. It's much more about managing your health and being healthier. And then we're going to make that premium because there are a lot of apps out there that charge quite a lot of money for things that are not even medically validated. So you know, this is all medical grade. It's like your, your Swiss knife or your self-care in your pocket. The third is using the uh, licensing the, the platform to insurers, telemedicine companies to use our artificial intelligence to do the screening of their users. And we have revenue on all three lines already, but we are, as I said, this is early days for the revenue. We'll be back after this quick break to talk about investment, failure and limiting beliefs. Don't move a muscle. So how do you sell this sort of company and this sort of opportunity to investors? So the idea with Healthly is that, and this is a story with investors that they all like, the opportunity here is really to become a universal utility because there isn't anything like this out there and it's really hard to do. And we're now, we've done it basically. We've done 95% of it. So we proved that it works. We just had it validated independently by Imperial College. We've got an article coming out on BMJ in the British Medical Journal very soon that proves that this works and so on. The point on this one is that it's not really driven by revenue is driven by impact and scale because the idea is that if you can create a tool or a platform that you can use to make every human being empower them to take more control of their health clearly you can be very very big and you can become and if you become the destination or the digital default for healthcare information which today doesn't exist. Because today you go to Google because you don't know where to go. Because if you need to book a flight, you don't go to Google. You go to book it, you know, go to kayak or you know, skyscanner. Or you know, for, for many, many consumer areas, there is now a leader, there is a destination, there is a digital default or or two. But for healthcare, there isn't. You go to Google. And then what happens, people end up on WebMD on this other side, but those sites do nothing. They're like encyclopedias. They're not services, they're just content. So the story to an investor is, look, we're building something, which is really hard to build, but we've done it now. It took us six years. They can become the digital destination for healthcare information. Now, what does that mean financially and socially? Socially means that you can help billions of people to be healthier, which is great because ESGs, SDG, all this stuff is like top of the agenda for investors these days. But the second one is that if you become the gateway for information on health, just in the US, that alone is worth 
tens of billions. And that's it. That's the story. And, and how you monetize it, you monetize it like we do. Advertising if it's web-based, premium in the app, B2B licensing. So the story here is that the exit is being big, is making it. If you make it to become the place that people go to for the health information, then you win. And you win big. And you can only win big. That's the only problem. Then you cannot win small. <laughs> because this, to win, needs to be big. And this is my challenge now for the next three years is to make this huge. So let's fast forward five years and the company has failed. Why? Ooh, great question. A million reasons. 999,000, I don't know them because I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> but the ones that could happen are our inability to find the right channels to get this to market. Let me qualify this. This is a product that cannot be pushed into the market with brute force. This is not all birds, shoes, or you know, Monzo cards, or this is, you cannot advertise this and get people to use it. You know why? Because it's healthcare, again. You don't choose your healthcare products. They're generally given to you. You don't choose which pills to take. Somebody tells you which pills to take. And this is very much like that. So the decision, and, and I'll get to that in a second, the decision of which digital health, health product you're going to choose is going to be mediated. Therefore, the partnerships, alliances, deals with the NHS are going to be crucial because the ultimate success for me is when you go to a doctor and the doctor says, done, thanks for coming. Next time, use Healthfully. And if Healthfully tells you to come, come. Otherwise, don't come. Do what Healthfully tells you. Okay, that's success to me. The failure is not being able to get that. Now, why is that so important? Because the choice of a product like Healthfully comes only if it comes with trust. And the reason why you need trust is because as a consumer, you have no idea whether what you find in Healthfully is right or wrong. In the same way as when you go to see a doctor, you have no idea if whatever the doctor tells you is right or wrong, but you trust them. And this is the, the big, big challenge with healthcare, is that it's a bit of a dark heart. And so if my app tells you that you should go back to bed, there's nothing wrong with you. If you still go to A&E, then I failed. You need to trust me, but I need to build that trust. And that's going to be the challenge is how do you build the trust? And I believe that my strategy is to do it through partnerships, is to basically mediate that relationship. Find somebody that you already trust that tells you, no, no, it's fine. You can trust it because you trust us. You can trust healthily. Great answer. Okay. Last question. What do you think as a leader yourself is your most uh, still limiting skill? What is the area that you still need to develop that is going to, you know, whether you work on it and it works, that's the thing that's going to help propel you and the company forward. What are you still working on? I'm going to work on a bit of everything in reality because I am, uh, I know that I can improve on everything and, uh, and I know where I'm not good at. But I also know what I'm not going to be able to ever be good at. So I think that that probably one of the things I learned better over the years is to 
put great people into the roles that I know I would not be able to, to do. And that's unlucky because I've always come across some great people and I've let them, you know, come into the team and actually take full leadership in those things that I know I'm terrible at, which is quite a lot. So I think that helps me because I don't need to improve on certain things because I just get people that are already good at it <laughs> to cover them. And personally, I think an area, let me think where I would like to, to improve. I guess what I've not been very good at is attracting money from very large visionaries. You know, if I look at other companies in this space that raised a lot more money, because we haven't raised a lot. There is a reason for that is because we didn't really want to raise that much, but I would have liked to raise more. And I think I failed to attract that kind of money. And, and I'm working on that. I'm working to understand why. Is it because I, am, I need to bullshit more maybe, or I need to maybe be better at selling the vision? Or I'm trying to understand that because I have, would have liked to raise a bit more money than we have. And we're always raising money and we have money coming in all the time. That's fine. So another, another reason of failure could be that we don't raise enough money. That could be another common reason why companies fail. Yeah, so interesting. So potentially, potentially, you know, if you could put the answer succinctly, it might actually be networking. As in your, your limitation that you need to work on might actually be networking, as in, you know, trying to get the funding from, you know, from the right people, the right players, the right names in the space. It's like an awareness thing. Yeah, there is that. There is some of that. But I actually, to be honest, because I've got a pretty good network that I'm always expanding, I think it's actually how I pitch the thing to the network could be more of a problem. Because I've, I've got access to quite a lot of people and, you know, I've been to Sand Hill Lane pitching over the last few years as well. And yeah, you've been around the block. I have been around the block. So I think it's probably more on how I pitch and in, in the kind of is the pitch itself that probably is not as good as it as it could be. But you know, you probably gathered that from this time together. I'm I'm not very good at, at, at pretending to be what I'm not. And and the same comes when I'm pitching an idea. I'm not very good at, at putting the lipstick on the pig in the in in a certain way. So yeah, it's a really fascinating challenge, isn't it? Because uh, if you're pitching a vision that big, then actually the hyperbole and the imagine a world where X, Y, and Z happens, that's all lipstick, right? And you have to do that. You have to do that dance and VCs want to hear that dance. And sometimes, you know, matching that up with the practical realities of the seasoned entrepreneur who really knows like the game that they're facing and knows the practical reality um, you know, that can be a real challenge to find the spot in the middle. So I guess, you know, having had this conversation with you in a great interview, I'm really hoping that, um, that actually beyond being a valuable interview for our audience, you know, that it's been useful for you as well and gives you some nice food for thought. Cause I, I love hearing the vision. I want to hear you make it a massive success in reality. So, uh, you know, it's good to know even people like yourself, very seasoned, you know, still have room to grow and space to learn. You always have, you know, you never stop learning. The moment you stop learning and growing, you're dead. That's the definition of death to me. <laughs> yeah, we start with health and we end with death. It's really interesting. You, know, you made me think uh, about this. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, we, we are very close right now. We are very close and we do have money. You know, we, it's not that we don't have money, but it's, uh, it, it, this money buys you opportunity, right? You know, there are certain investors that they understand that the money can change the odds. 
you know, same team, same idea, but with more money, you got, you got more room to fail as well. You know, money can buy you the opportunity to make more mistakes. And so that's why money is important. For sure. But hey, you know, I've, I've hopefully all the learning from the, the years that I've done this prevents me from making more mistakes. So maybe I can do this with less money than others would be able to. <laughs> well, that would be a story in itself, right? Yeah, we'll see. Dude, we'll looking forward to years. coming back in five years. Exactly. I'm looking forward to the rerun. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dan. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips, and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Next week on Secret Leaders. We opened the warehouse in Munich. Our community came in front of it and danced. We were delivering these orders. I was knocking the door and there was a laptop with 64 squares. There's a Zoom call and someone is showing to all of his friends and family saying that something like this exists. Like, I don't remember how I was doing my things before, you know, my groceries before. We realized that, okay, this is above groceries. We are solving something super fundamental. That was Kagan Suma, the co-founder and CEO of Gorillas, an on-demand grocer that recently launched in London and delivers your food shopping in less than 10 minutes. It's the fastest ever startup in Europe to be valued at over a billion dollars. Tune in or you'll miss out. If you've enjoyed this episode and you don't want to miss out on more just like it, then please get your phone out and follow us on your favorite podcast player. And if you can think of someone who'd really benefit from what you've just heard, then why not share the episode with them so they can also learn something new today as well. This episode was hosted by me, Dan Murray-Serta. It was produced by Rich Martel with editing done by Lower Street Media.